The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, peep peep. Last train to the Champions League knockouts is leaving the station. Who will be on it? Elsewhere, Paris Saint-Germain. How did they manage Artois? El Cholo, is he just not very good anymore? Why Inter's ultras left their stands emptier than a Monaco home game? Bald managers, and what kind of bread is it worse to be attacked with? All those topics and more in this Totally Football Show. Look at this, November the 1st, 2022, and it's a brand new Totally Football show with all your favourites, Julian Laurence, James Horncastle and Alvaro Romeo here with us. Hello, boys. Hello, everyone. Hey. Hello, guys. Hello. What's that listener? Raphael Honigstein. Uh, He'll be along a a little bit later on. He's he's kind of currently detained on His Majesty's Pleasure, actually. He's busy. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, not... Entirely, it's, but we'll hit. it's his majesty's pleasure. I said yes. his majesty's pleasure. Mm, I think you said her. I think I said his. Listener, go back and check, would you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, let's not argue. Not when there's so many great things to discuss this week. We've got huge matches coming up uh, around the place in the leagues, etc. Some surprising results. We've also got a fat round, the final round of uh, Champions League group stage games. Also some, some sad news, eh, Jules? Sad news. Yeah. yeah, there will be no Pogba, maybe no party for France at the World Cup. He was um, officially announced uh, out for the World Cup yesterday on Monday. Uh, we kind of knew it, really. It was a race against time once he got that knee injury at the end of July to get fit, but not just to get fit, start training, maybe playing. Uh, and now he had an hamstring injury on Monday while training which really put an end to, to that race against time. And it's a big blow for France, even if you kind of expected it a little bit, but it's still a big blow, especially after N'Golo Conte also mm. withdrew what, a couple of weeks ago now. So you'll be at, without your two best and most important centre midfielders. I blame Honigstein for this. Um, Me too. Because, you know, he loaded expectation on France saying... If anyone other than France wins the World Cup, it's a massive failure for France. And since then, Conte's got injured. Pogba hasn't been able to come back. It's this Teutonic jinx that he has put on France. Very clever of Honigstein, but uh, I feel for my uh, frere Julien uh, on this this sad day. I think we all do. Sad sad day for, for football. For Juventus as well. Jules, how much are you sweating about Karim Benzema's fitness now? No, that's very different. That's fine. Is he it? just had like, yeah, mm. uh, I think he didn't want to take any risk. Mm. I think we might see between now and when the squads are announced at the beginning of November and when the teams go to Qatar, like I said, mid-November, that I think a lot of players will will not take any risk. You say, you know, you stay on the bench, you stay at home, you stay in the, uh, the physio room to get treatment or whatever. It's too close to the World Cup now to, to take any risk, I think. We're talking about the best players because uh, the best players are playing more games. That is, I think, that the most peculiar thing about all this World Cup um, in November thing. The fact that uh, we don't have cup games in midweek. Uh, normally in cup games, uh, you know, every single side is playing them. Uh, we have Champions League games. 
UEFA, mm. Europa League, UEFA Conference League. So that's why there are so many soft tissue injuries among the great players, or the best players. Um, well, the Pogba thing is different, obviously. But still, I think that, um, you know, the calendar is very diabolical, let's put it that way, because European football has been played all together with club football, and the best players have been involved, not the worst players who can actually uh, play for their national teams as well. Yeah, well, that's a fair point. And of course, we've got a fat round of Champions League action, the final set of group stage games coming up Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll talk about those very shortly. Oh, my word, there's some big games. First of all, a round of moments of the weekend. And we'll start with Rafa, who very thoughtfully sent one in. Well, James, the moment of the weekend undoubtedly came on Sunday evening in Berlin when Danilo Doki scored a 97th minute winner for Union against Borussia Mönchengladbach to keep Union on top. They were 1-0 down with 12 minutes to go. They managed to turn it around and that last-minute winner felt absolutely huge. I'm not sure it's going to be huge in terms of the championship, but who knows? Certainly a big big win for Union to keep them going. Absolutely, particularly after some of their rivals' results earlier on in the weekend. Excellent, Rafi. We'll hear more from you later on. Who wants to go next? I go. Uh, my moment of the week is Kevin Gamero! Ninety-fourth minute equaliser against Marseille on Saturday at the Stade de la Meno in Strasbourg. Incredible, great volley, Paris-born and bred striker. Uh, 35 now, so really towards the end of his career, who went back to Strasbourg to just basically, f- you know, finish the the cycle. Really, Strasbourg were two 0 down at half time, and Marseille were really good in the first half. But to get back and score that goal to get a point against his biggest rivals, really has to be my moment of the week. I, I even screamed in front of the TV. Did you, Jules? Did you? I did. You might be doing more screaming, of course, Tuesday evening when Marseille have an absolutely huge game in the Champions League against Spurs, more on which shortly. Alvaro? Yeah, my moment of the week uh, is Betis win at the Real Sociedad ground because uh, this is, in my opinion, a game between two sides who are going to be contending to qualify for the Champions League because Sevilla, the team who has qualified for the Champions League for the last three years straight, uh, they are in relegation zone right now. Uh, strangely, uh, they are down there. And Betis and Real Sociedad play the game with a lot of uh, importance, I would say. And Betis won it. Um, in the last four minutes, they managed to score two goals. Uh, one of them from Juan Cruz, by the way, who scored his uh, first goal in Spanish football. And the other one from Borja Iglesias, El Panda, who is in the... that pre-list that Luis Enrique has uh, sent to you know to all the players and Borja Iglesias is among them 55 players who could actually play the World Cup so it was very good for uh, Borja Iglesias to score as well Is he endangered of, of not making the 20, the 26 Alvaro? <laughs> el, el Panda Yeah mm. uh, Yeah it's, uh, it's an endangered species that's for sure but mm. um, I think that he can make it because Gerard Moreno is unlikely to go to the World Cup, even though he's in that list as well. Mm. He left uh, He left Real Sociedad bamboozled uh, with his goal <laughs> this, this time around. Uh, who, have, who have Betis got next weekend, Alvaro? 
Betis in the next weekend. They are playing against Sevilla. It's the derby. Huge. Exacto. Yeah, and and what different, what different form those two teams are in, as you as you say, coming into it. Well, we'll touch on that later on. James, what are you going with with your moment of the weekend? Is it the focaccina in the face? <laughs> yes, James. <laughs> Only in Italy, third division game between Montevarchi and uh, Cesena. And uh, the Montevarchi manager does not like uh, what's going on. So he picks up a focaccina, so a, a kind of sandwich, you know, which is a focaccia, which has been sliced in half and filled with, you know, I don't know, some mortadella or whatever. And uh, just picked it up and threw it in the face of the, the Cesena manager. Um, so only in Italy. I mean, to be honest, I'd rather be hit by a focaccina than mm. a baguette. Than a I baguette. Think. No yeah. way. Yeah, 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 no, because a focaccina soft. is soft. You know, yeah. yeah. Okay. Still, a mortadella covering your face is very also yeah. when you, when you get that crust on a on a on a baguette it's yeah. not you know it's not only hard it can t- mm. it could really scar. You it, know, could it could scratch you, couldn't it? It could scratch. You could if you break a baguette in half, <laughs> like Begbie in. Plane spotting, <laughs> and then uh, oh, that really scene is glorious. Did he get sent off, James? Did he? I can't remember. Um, I was actually <laughs> thinking you. of another moment of the week. Uh, oh yeah, when go James on then, have another. That. I just wanted to uh, celebrate uh, Salernitana uh, mm. because you know Salernitana pulled off the great escape uh, last season under Davide Nicola. Um, a club that was almost kicked out of the league looked like they were dead and buried uh, and now they're in the top half of the table and they came back from behind to beat Lazio scoring some wonderful goals at the truly wonderful truly wonderful I'll just throw in one other moment of the weekend uh, throw for Focaccino well, how many yeah. do we have for Italy what <laughs> this isn't an Italian one Jules oh, this, okay, this is PSG related really? it was the moment yeah yeah it was the moment early Monday morning with the, the Rio crowd chanting Oi Neymar Vaite declara. You're gonna have to. Uh, you're gonna have to do your taxes after Bolsonaro lost the runoff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the suggestion there, footnote that uh, Neymar's support for the Brazilian, uh, the outgoing Brazilian candidate, was in some way connected with him paying his taxes or not, which of course is a scurrilous allegation. Anyway, let's get on to the Champions League. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Huge midweek in the Champions League. Literally, some games will mean something. (laughs) There are some big fixtures. Liverpool-Napoli. Liverpool could snatch top spot in the group if they beat Napoli by four goals or more. Bayern-Inter, nothing can happen in that, but it'll be fun anyway. Juve-PSG, which Juve need to get into the Europa League. There's also, and this is important, eight teams chasing... Four places in the last 16 of the Champions League. You've got uh, Milan taking on Salzburg. They're a point ahead of the Austrians. Shakhtar, meanwhile, could take second place in Real Madrid's group if they beat RB Leipzig, who are currently in second, in Warsaw. There's also all of Group D, Spurs, Sporting, Frankfurt and Marseille, who are separated by just two points. All four of them could go through. Jules, you were telling us on Monday's show about... Tottenham's trip to the Velodrome to take mm. on Marseille. I suppose just need a point there. What's the mood this morning in Marseille? Yeah, I think it's good. They're really up for it, and so they should. It's the biggest game of 
of the season so far. Uh, this is a game that, for many reasons, is the biggest game. One, because they haven't progressed to the last 16 of the Champions League since 2011 under mm. uh, Deschamps. Financially, it would be huge for them to qualify, even if then they get knocked out in the last 16, for example, against a, a bigger side or whatever. But financially, a team that's losing money, who is under scrutiny from financial fair play, they need the qualifications they do. And also because lately they've been terrible. Uh, you know, they, they haven't won in four now in the league. It's uh, three defeats and one draw. And a win, I think, after such a great start of the season, a win would sort of like bring to the all credit back up, if you want. The players as well, especially some of the stars, like Alexis Sanchez, who's been a bit struggling lately. Eric Bailly, who is back from, from injury. Matteo Ganduzzi, just before Deschamps announces his squad for the World Cup. So... It's a shame that the Velodrome won't be f packed and fully full because there's, a, there's obviously a sanction from UFR and one of the stands is going to be closed where the ultras are. They will find a way in, don't worry. But, but the tension will be there for both teams because Spurs, if they lose, they're out, potentially. So it's, it's big for everybody. Spurs haven't scored in their two away games in the Champions League this season. Are they going to get the point, Jules? I think they're favourite on paper. They should they have the better sides, but Conte will not be on the bench. He will not have access to the dressing room either before the game or at halftime, for example, which I think is a problem. I, I, I do think that the tension would be there for a Spurs team and the pressure for a Spurs team that is not playing well. They won at Bournemouth, but that was not good. The first half was terrible again, and they only really create and score on set pieces or long-range shots, which is not good enough. And, and they will be in a very hostile environment. Of course, I think they, they should do it and I think they can do it, but, but it's not going to be easy at all. And the question is, what kind of tactics are both managers going to use? Because Spurs with a draw, if they draw nil-nil and don't take any risks, then they go through. Marseille have to win, of course, we said. But Tudor is Tudor. Would it be better for them to go and press and start really high and intense, but then maybe leave space behind for Kane and Son and Lucas Moura? Or is it better to just leave the ball to Spurs, who, who we've seen before, like we saw at Bournemouth, don't really always know what to do with it. And then defend deep for Marseille and play on the counter-attack. I think for me that the second option is better. Mm. Um, but it would be very interesting to see how the two managers approach the game. Tuesday at 8 o'clock, Marseille will take on Spurs. At the same time, Sporting up against Eintracht Frankfurt, the other two teams in that group. Sporting looking to make it a clean sweep of Portuguese sides through to the last 16. Uh, now, on Wednesday, you've got Shakhtar up against Leipzig. Uh, Shakhtar need the victory to go through from Real Madrid group. Also on Wednesday, Milan up against Salzburg, who are a point behind the Rossoneri as they visit San Siro. Milan's preparation for this game, not the best, put in probably their worst performance of the season, even including in those Chelsea games at the weekend when they got beat by Torino, James. Yeah, I mean, they could have been 2-0 up after five minutes um, because Rafa Leao had some of the best chances that he's had this season. Really capitalised on a on a poor start from Torino, who gave the ball away. And yeah, from then onwards, uh, yeah, Milan were poor, as you say, uh, and with none of the mitigating circumstances that we saw against Chelsea, you know, sort of injuries in the in the first game and bad refereeing in the second game. On the one hand, I think they did have this game in their heads um, mm. against Torino um, because uh, you can't underestimate how important it is for the club to make the round of 16 
for the Champions League. You know, after after winning the Scudetto last year, they really want to make progress in Europe, and and so it all hinges on this game. And yeah, you know, I suppose what surprised me in the in the defeat to to Torino uh, was that Pioli decided to take Leao off at halftime, and yeah, Leao didn't have an injury uh, by the looks of it. Um, and in some respects, I think he wanted to, to send a message to the players that uh, we're not dependent on him. We have to find ways to win without him um, because they have been too dependent for the last 18 months. But ultimately, they didn't find a way to win without him. Um, and they'll still be looking f- to him uh, in this game against Salzburg uh, at San Siro. But uh, yeah, a nice uh, story, I suppose, for them on, on Monday evening was that Stefano Pioli signed a new deal until 2025. Um, I don't think uh, they did that on, on the basis that it'd be psychologically useful uh, going into this game against Salzburg because I think Pioli's, Pioli knows how much confidence that the, the club has in him. Um, but yeah, it does feel pivotal. And I don't think Milan have won back-to-back Champions League games since 2011, or something like that. They only need a point uh, against Salzburg. But you know, as I said, I think this is a, a huge game for them. A great result anyway on Sunday for Torino with their new tactic of scoring goals. They've now picked up back-to-back wins against top four teams, Udinese, the previous weekend. More on Serie A very, very shortly. One other game perhaps to look out for midweek is uh, Tuesday. It's early, though. Tuesday, sorry, 5.45, when Porto take on Atletico. Porto already through. Atletico battling for the Europa League spot in this group. But it's more for the fact that in the three previous matchups in the last couple of seasons, five players have been sent off. It gets tasty, this one. Looking forward to that. All right. More City Air as we start our league roundup next. Hello, everyone. I'm Tony Jameson, the new host of the Football Manager Show, brought to you by The Athletic. Football Manager has quite frankly ruined my life, but I'd be completely lost without it. And if those words resonate with you, our podcast will be right up your street with FM23's release inching closer and closer. Every week, myself and Aaron Falloon, aka RDF Tactics, take a deep dive into our most recent saves. We speak to the makers of the game about how to crack it and take on wacky community challenges suggested by our loyal listenership. So if that sounds like a bit of you, make sure to subscribe to the Football Manager Show wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Quindi ognuno va a prendere la propria posizione. Mario Rui, il servizio Zilischi, il tiro. Gol! Quarascalia, 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 e Quarascalia! James, you were telling us about Milan's defeat Sunday night. It's a result that leaves them six points. The champions behind this season's leaders, Napoli. Napoli, who notched up their 13th victory in a row, of course, on Saturday when they downed Sassuolo 4-0. And off they go to Anfield. There was kind of a line in in the Gazette on Monday saying, Italy's not enough for Napoli anymore. They're running out of worlds to conquer. (laughs) I think Napoli would be delighted just to conquer Italy um, after... 
you know, going so long without the Scudetto back to 1990, um, you know, came so close under Maurizio Sarri um, to winning it. Um, uh, and I, I think, you know, that Sarri team is is now getting overlooked, uh, almost eclipsed by the Spalletti team, which is really quite something because that's where Sarri smoke became a thing. It's when, you know, people all around the world were tuning in to watch Napoli over and above their own teams, uh, even if they were Premier League fans, La Liga fans, Liga fans. Um, so, yeah, it just goes to show the level that Spalletti has got Napoli playing at. Um, Klopp was saying that he doesn't see any reason why they can't reach the final, um, which, um, you know, I, I think he was genuine in in, in saying that. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's it serves to remember that Napoli have never got out of the quarterfinals uh, of this of this competition. Um, so I think just that would be progress. Um, and yeah, they've had more wins uh, where they've scored four goals than any other team apart from Bayern Munich um, this this season. Um, they have this habit of being three, four goals up at half time, which makes things makes things easier. And I, I suppose one other thing is is that they have had injuries over the course of this run. You know, Rachmani, uh, who's the first choice centre back with Kim, you know, won't play again until 2023. He's already missed a few games. So Juan Jesus um, has been playing. Uh, Anguissa had some timeouts when Dombele was playing. Obviously, Osimhen was out, so we saw Raspadori, we saw Simeone playing, um, and it yeah it hasn't led to any kind of blip. So. You know, as the Sassuolo coach Alessio Dionisi was saying on on Saturday, it's like they're almost unbeatable, really, at the moment. Mm. Well, we shall see. We shall see. Long way to go before finals and that kind of thing. But Napoli at Anfield midweek, where Liverpool were beaten at the weekend by Leeds. Ossiman, not sure if he'll play. It was against Liverpool on match day one that he picked up that injury that kept him out for about a month. But he he was on form at the weekend with a with a hat trick against. Sassuolo. Yeah, he's got a new nickname, which is Ossim Man of the Match. Ah, oh, um, nice. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, as I say, they're six points clear of Milan, five of Atalanta, their nearest rivals. And next weekend, one of the big games is actually Napoli taking on Atalanta. Will they cut the lead? Will the Neapolitans be eight points clear? Crikey. Other teams like Roma, Lazio, Juventus and Inter down in 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. And those teams playing each other in an absolutely huge weekend in prospect in Serie A. You've got Juve Inter, the so-called derby of Italy, that's Sunday night. And immediately before that, the Rome derby, which is looking pretty interesting. Because just yesterday evening, Monday evening, Roma swept past Lazio into 4th place by beating Verona 3-1 away. Lazio, as you mentioned, James, had succumbed to Salernitana by the same scoreline. A quick word about Monday evening's performance, uh, first of all. A game that started off in not the best fashion for Roma. That that moment, about 18 minutes in, when Tammy Abraham was put clear on goal by by Rick Karsdorp. Yeah, Tammy's season um, has been a struggle uh, so far. It's in- yeah, I mean, he scored, I think, on, on Thursday in the Europa League, but up until then, they'd only got a couple of goals. And, you know, he's underperforming his XG. Um, I mean, in this moment against against Hellas, yeah, put through on goal, goes around the goalkeeper. Um, and it does happen quickly, uh, but he, he hits the, side, the outside of the post rather than score. And, 
you know, I, I think the still makes it look really, really bad. Um, yeah, I think if you look at it in real time, everything happens really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, okay, you know, a striker who's confident puts it away. But I think Tammy at the moment is is perhaps low on confidence. Um, and you know, I mean, this time last year, he only had two league goals. Um, but he was hitting the woodwork and he was frustrated. Um, this time around, it's just not really happening for him. Uh, and uh, I think there's a, there's a bit of concern. I mean, because Roma, for example, I think their XG is second to, to Napoli in the league, um, but their attack has been pretty much mid-table. And, you know, you can kind of put that down to Dybala being injured, but, you know, Zaniolo scored his first goal of the season <laughs> uh, last night. Tammy's obviously on this barren run. Um, so, yeah, they, they need him to to score, really. Um, and if they do, I mean, given that they're fourth already, um, mm. yeah, they might... It just goes to show that they've, they've got more potential. They've got more than they're showing, uh, Roma. So, um, so, yeah, but, yeah, not great for Tammy as we, we're going into the final couple of weeks before the World Cup. The victory, as I mentioned, moving them into fourth place from Lazio, who could take that back again this weekend because they're facing Roma in the derby. It was, uh, you mentioned some of the Salernitana goals, the Candreva one in particular, James. <laughs> yeah, Candreva, who yeah, kind of plucks the ball out of the sky uh, and Ivan Providel, the Lazio goalkeeper, comes running off his line and, and Candreva just lofts it over him. Uh, yeah, wonderful uh, goal uh, from the former Lazio winger. Um, and yeah, pretty stunning, really, because Lazio have... have been playing really really well under Sarri even without Immobile um, they got that win in Bergamo against Atalanta so it was a it was a shock but yeah, Davide Nicola yeah who is the kind of Harry Houdini of, of, of Serie A great escapes with Crotone with Genoa with Torino with, with Salernitana you know he has been kind of typecast as that the manager to do those kind of exploits when in actual fact he's just a really good manager and perhaps deserves a chance at a bigger club, you know, a, t- a team in the top six, um, because certainly his body of work suggests he's he's capable of that. For Lazio as well, Sergei Milikovic-Savic, who is one yellow card away from being suspended for the derby, comes on, gets a yellow for a foul. I'm not, I'm not even sure there was a foul, and now we'll miss the derby. Well, this is yeah. the thing. This is the thing. No Immobile and no Milinkovic-Savic as well in the big game against Rome. And this was because, well, Sarri decided not to use him in this game in case he got suspended. But mm. Sarri said that if he says what he really thinks, he'll be banned for six months. Right. Um, and <laughs> he's already said that um, his lawyer is going to be really busy this year because of, uh, of some of the refereeing early on in the season, which uh, he was not pleased about. So, um, so yeah, I mean... It felt very harsh on on Milinkovic, but you know, as much as as much as they'll be without Immobile uh, and uh, SMS, you know, Roma are going to be still without DiBala, still without uh, Spinazzola, mm. um, and with you know, kind of Tammy misfiring. Although this this game last year was one of the high points in in Tammy's uh, life in in Italy, really, when he, he scored a brace, became the the player who scored the quickest goal in, in, in the history of the Derby della Capitale. So, yeah, it's um, it's still quite evenly balanced, although Lazio have played the better football this season by quite a distance, I would say. Really? OK. Well, no SMS, but Sarri's still hoping to send a message come the weekend in the, the derby. And then that game's followed immediately by 
Juventus against Inter. The two teams lying seventh and sixth right now. Both won again at the weekend. Uh, Juve have now won actually three in the league, three in a row in, in, in the league. And, and once again, it was the youngsters riding to their rescue, James. Yeah, because they were struggling against Lecce. Um, they were yeah, playing down in Puglia and uh, it was nil-nil at halftime. And uh, you know, Allegri has kept going to the, the, the next generation, the, the, the players who play for Juventus' equivalent of Barcelona B or Real Madrid Castilla. Um, and you know they helped them come back in Lisbon against Benfica, albeit still lose 4-3, but you know, there was a spirited comeback in, in that game. And, and likewise, we saw you know, Samuel Elling Jr., the, uh, the England Youth International, uh, set up Fagioli, and you know Fagioli scored a goal a la Del Piero. Mm. Um, you know, so you know players kind of 21 or under um, doing well. It's not just them. I mean, Matthias Soule um, started, um, who's you know been called up for for Argentina under Scaloni. Uh, you know, we've seen Miretti play pretty well this season as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to criticise Juventus for. You know, be it their coaching, be it how the club has been run. But I think that decision. To, to set up a B team and put it in the third division so that the the young players can get uh, game time playing against men and uh, it kind of bridges the gap between the youth team and the first team is, is beginning to show uh, fruit um, and uh, boy do they need it. Uh, mm. It's a resource that's been um, very useful for, for Allegri in the, last, uh, in the last few weeks. Well, we'll see. If the youngsters feature midweek for Juve's, they host Paris Saint-Germain Juve's chances already over of reaching the last 16. Uh, Inter, meanwhile, will be away in Bavaria, taking on our friends FC Bayern. One last thing, just before we leave uh, Italy for now, uh, on the subject of Inter as well, their victory over Sampdoria was easy enough at the weekend, marked by bizarre scenes or quite troubling scenes in the Curva Nord at San Siro, where at, at half-time, after a first 45 minutes of pretty much absolute silence from the Inter Ultras, they then led a, a mass walkout from that end of the ground, a mass walkout that was kind of violently enforced for the fans who, who didn't realise they were supposed to be walking out. And this is all because of the, the death of one of the um, Cap Ultras, James. Yeah, so reports were coming through that there'd been a, a shooting um, in uh, one of the kind of uh, suburbs of Milan just as the game was kicking off. So, you know, whilst the, the ultras were getting information, that's why they decided to be silent, that they weren't going to sing, they weren't going to chant. And then confirmation came through that one of the Capuldillas had, uh, had been shot dead. Um, and that's when they decided to walk out. Um, and, you know, a lot of fans in that zone were complaining, um, you know, that they had kids uh, and the kids were crying, that people were being manhandled, being, being as you say, told to, to get out. Um, uh, and, you know, Inter have since come out and condemned it. Um, there's, you know, it's a reminder really of... The power of uh, of the ultras, uh, and also uh, you know, kind of a reminder of, of of some of the forces at work within the Cordova, be mm. it kind of um, you know criminal elements, you know, when it comes to sort of divvying up um, who sells on 
tickets of ultras who've had banning orders um you know who gets to run the car park who gets to run you know the uh the sausage shack or the uh you know the place where you get your uh induya or salami kind of baguette after after the game um and you know some of the political elements as well you know be it you know people with links to kind of far right um you know kind of political institutions so so yeah it's you know it was it was not a nice scene i mean kind of just bizarre it was going on whilst the Inter were putting in some one of their yeah. best performances of the season scoring some of the best goals mm. of the season that this was happening in the background the capo ultra vittorio boyocchi had spent something like 26 years in jail for uh, such diverse charges as robbery uh, drug trafficking and also kidnapping hasn't been at the stadium for for years because he's been right. serving a banning order but he's kind of able to coordinate um you know it just goes to show how much kind of power and interest there mm. is um in in running what is a you know an ultra group but is essentially an organization um with with lots of different tentacles all over uh, san siro i think the other thing this reminds us of is the fact that still to this day uh, the curvas are often no-go zones for the police. The fact that the the stewards or the security forces, nobody was is stepping in to to stop the the manhandling, which you mentioned there, of uh, fans who weren't aware that they were supposed to be leaving a game they'd paid to see because a convicted criminal had been shot in a gangland slaying. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, a, there's an interview with um, a bystander in uh, La Repubblica this morning who was who claims they were told to get out or we'll cut your throat. You know, I mean, cheapest. that's the that's nice. the. So, yeah. Will the clubs ever ban the ultras to come in like Real Madrid and Barcelona did at the time, dissolve those organizations or uh, put many impediments to them so they cannot operate so easily? Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of clubs are, are still in the kind of toe of, of, of the ultras. You know, they want their favor, their approval, um, because they can make life very difficult for you. Uh, you know, particularly if you're uh, if you're an owner. Um, I think in, in some respects we're, you know, we've seen this at at Juventus, you know, recently where yeah, there was a kind of unwritten rule that you know if the ultras didn't cause any trouble that they could um, they could have certain privileges you know, organized crime elements, basically that, oh, right, okay, so you can sort of sell on some tickets and that sort of thing. Okay, well, well we're interested in getting involved in that. And organized crime would infiltrate the curva and, uh, yeah, lead to some very un- unsavory things. And, you know, we saw in the kind of last banner investigation that went on um, into the curva at Juventus that, uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the reasons why the atmosphere at Juventus games now is not what it was, is because it, it has been broken up, but it, it yeah it takes fairly extreme circumstances uh, for for that to happen. Um, you know, in the meantime, you just have banning orders, mm. and also you know obviously if there's any kind of uh, discriminatory racist chanting, you'll you'll have the code of a closed or or, or uh, and, and things like that. But in terms of clubs proactively going about dissolving them, you know ultimately these groups are kind of autonomous, <laughs> so. Um, they do what they like. So, so yeah, I, 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 I'd be surprised if that were to happen. Mm. If you want to know more, by the way, Alvaro, about the colourful and controversial world of the Italian ultras, may I recommend a, a two-part episode uh, by James and Gabriele Marcotti and, and myself of uh, Golazzo, in which we uh, 
touch on that very topic with some of the more extraordinary stories about the power of the Tifosi with Tobias Jones, who's, of course, written an excellent book on the topic. Anyway, for now, on this Totally Football show, with big questions in store like, will Phil Neville be managing Leo Messi next season? We press on. Next up, <laughs> it's La Liga. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, Alvaro, a draw for Real in controversial circumstances at the weekend. Barcelona moving back to a point off the top with their late, late victory over Valencia. And another last-minute blow for Atletico Madrid, the 99th minute once again, Alvaro. Well, it's been a very nice weekend in that respect because we have had some big sides, dropping points, uh, somehow just having coherent results with uh, their performances in the Champions League. Barcelona won, and I think it was the main beneficiary of last weekend of football because they are closer to Real Madrid in La Liga table. Atletico, as you said, lost, and it was a very bad uh, loss for them because they conceded three goals, especially for that reason too, against Cadiz, by the way, who hadn't won at home this season yet. Um, then uh, Sevilla went into relegation zone, which is something that could have been unthinkable a year or a couple of years ago, and I think that La Liga is very open this year just because I think that Barcelona and Real Madrid are going to win the title race and they are going to win the league, one of them both. But then, uh, for the Champions League spots, if we discard Sevilla already, uh, we still have Real Betis, Real Sociedad, Atlético de Madrid, Atlético Club Bilbao, and let's see if Villarreal can uh, put themselves there with Quique Setién. Okay, who lost his first game uh, this weekend in charge after taking over from uh, Unai Emery uh, away to... Your friends, Athletic Club de Bilbao. Atletico Madrid, though, last midweek, the 99th minute, saw them get that lifeline. The game had ended, then VAR sent the teams back out for a handball penalty, and Carrasco had the chance to keep them in the hunt for a last 16 place in the Champions League, which he blew, and then his teammates blew on the two other attempts they had as the ball rebounded out uh, from the Bayer Leverkusen goal. And then this weekend, conceding that 99th minute Winner to Cadiz. The thing is, with with that team, though, are people in, in Spain saying that Simeone's actually not very good? Or at least hasn't been very good with them since, what, 2017 now? Look, I, I really like that you dropped that year because that year was a, a turning point, in my opinion, for Atletico de Madrid. I'll, I'll go to that right now. But first of all, if Simeone is contested or not, or if he is under questioning, I think that he, right now, he is under question 
more than ever is under the spotlight. Uh, many Atletico fans, they just, it's not that they don't believe on Simeone. It's just that uh, the love story uh, is going through a rough patch right now. And uh, all the romanticism, uh, if uh, there was any after a couple of, or a bad year, uh, is pretty much gone. Uh, there are believers of Simeone. No one at Atletico de Madrid fan base forgets what Simeone has done for them as a player and as a manager as well. But at the minute, the team is flat. And Atletico de Madrid is out of the Champions League. And the team is boring as well. And uh, sometimes when they get the lead at home, they don't know what to do with it. And uh, that becomes very obvious when they play at Civitas Metropolitano. Because I think that at this stage of the season, Atletico de Madrid prefers to play away. Because they can actually put into practice their game plan uh, without any shame which is basically making sure that they get a goal and they defend it. But at home, that doesn't work. And especially if that happens to you against sides like Girona and sides like this in which you get a goal, and then it doesn't look good for a side of the magnitude of the Atletico to defend the 1-0 or a 2-1. But Atletico has been... Um, there are two halves in Simeone's stint at Atletico. And uh, both halves, uh, from 2011 until 2016, 16 and from 2016 until now, uh, in terms of titles, they are very similar because Atletico won a league title and a Europa League title until 2016. And from then, they have won the same amount of trophies or the same quality of trophies, but mm -hmm. in the Champions League, which is the unity of measure for Atletico, probably. From 2013 until 2017, they always negotiate the group stage well and they came out first from 2013 until 2017. But ever since then, they have been either second second in the group stage or they've been knocked out in the group stage this year and in 2017 as well, in autumn of 2017, meaning that they are no longer a European power force, not at all. They reached to European finals in 2014, 2016. That was the fuel that kept Diego Pablo Simeone project alive. The fact that they could still win the first ever championship for them. But now this, is, this looks impossible. Is it a problem of investment? I don't think so. Mm. Uh, I think that the, the project of Simeone is running out of ideas. This is the main issue with them. The other thing, I mean, the line nine points off the top uh, as it stands in La Liga. The, the other thing that from the outside looks like one of the great bits of managerial failings is what's happened with João Felix, who they, yeah. they spent over 100 million euros on and came on in this game and did brilliantly, scored both, well, he had a hand in both their goals but otherwise doesn't seem to have a role in Simeone's team. Yeah, and, uh, you know, these subjects uh, come back cyclically. I mean, we are talking about Joao Felix every two months again and again and again. And the truth is that there are many elements in there that tell you that this should be a success for both, for Simeone and Joao Felix. Joao Felix, yes, he's a little bit inconsistent, but Diego Simeone got the best of some other inconsistent players who had a very glorious performance for Atletico, like for example Arda Turan, do you remember the Turkish guy who ended up signing for Barcelona? Simeone got the better of him and Arda Turan was the inconsistency, inconsistency personified. But with Joao Felix, I think that Simeone doesn't uh, like sometimes um, the attitude of Joao Felix when he's on the bench, when he doesn't play regularly, he's a player who wants to play and when he doesn't play, he seems a little bit detached. But on the other hand, if Atletico wants to get as many points in La Liga, and if they want to qualify for the Europa League, which is not guaranteed yet, because they have to make sure that they get a better result than Bayer Leverkusen, I think that they need Joao Felix. He scored a beautiful brace the other day against uh, Cadiz, uh, coming out from the bench in the 60th minute. Uh, he really improves what Correa can do, because he came 
instead of Correa onto the pitch. And uh, I think that at some point, Joao Felix is going to is going to be the differential player for Atlético de Madrid. But I'm not, uh, or I wouldn't be surprised if you know at, at some point this summer he talks to his agent and he says, "I'm bored of this. Please find an exit for me." Mm. Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of clubs interested in offering him a new home. All right, well, this weekend, the Seville derby, which is always quite an affair, and Betis with the chance to not only reinforce their top four status, but really put their their neighbours in trouble, Alvaro. And I really think they can, because Real Betis right now, they won't have a very tough midweek because they have done their homework in the in the Europa League, uh, getting the better of Roma, and also because Betis is in a very good moment right now. Uh, they are faster than last year. This is one thing that catches my eye automatically. I think last season they were a little bit slow, but this season some players who are fast and actually play uh, on the wings are making the difference, like Luis Enrique. Uh, the Brazilian player, Alex Moreno, the fullback that Nottingham Forest was about to sign. He's playing very, very, very well as well. And generally speaking, I think that this Betis side is one of the teams on form in La Liga. What they did at Real Arena the other day was very good. A great display of competitiveness. And they are playing against a Sevilla side that uh, they are lacking a good striker, they are lacking good defenders, and they have two rigid midfielders. So it's the complete package, really. And... Um, Sampaoli is there. Uh, he hasn't been able to change much because Sevilla's squad is what it is. Really, it doesn't make any sense um, what Monchi has done this time. Uh, it's difficult to be Monchi because uh, now there are many Monchis around. And he was a pioneer uh, doing his job. Uh, at what are you the trying to say about century. Monchi if there's lots of Monchis around? What's he been it's up a, to? What Alvaro is saying is Monchi see, Monchi do. No? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I can also say that there are many bold... Uh, Shaved men in the world, like. Uh, <laughs> you know. Oh my God! Here we That's go. So bad. <laughs> what the hell? I, 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 I am supposed to be. I am supposed to be one of them, by the way. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're not. That's the thing. Now you take, right. make fun of. Particularly at Ajax. Particularly at Ajax. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 But anyway, what I, what I meant with all this is that Monchi was <laughs> no, a pioneer. No, let's talk more about hair loss. Sorry. No, you go. <laughs> oh. No, please. No, please. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to league. It's an expensive thing. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on to a league where, actually, I think statistically in the top five leagues, there are fewer bald managers than, than any others. Is that right, Jules? Liga. That's up next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Bald managers in Liga. Jules, who you got? Uh, well, we got rid of the bad one. Uh, the Tudor's kind of bald, isn't he? Is he? Tudor's kind of well. bald, although he's, he's hanging on. He's really, yeah. He should shave, but he's hanging on. Yeah. Um, let me see. No, we've got beautiful hair. Okay. Like Laurent Blanc, I think soon there will be a problem yeah, there. But uh, uh, that's no, that's, at that age, he'll, he'll Yeah, that's it. fair. That's, that's why he was yeah. always kissing Barthez's head, isn't it? Right. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to think. No, we've got... Even in the new guys like Pelicia Auxerre, he's got beautiful hair. Beautiful, yeah. I mean, you know... City you know, is probably going to be the... Is going to be the the continental leaders, I, I feel, but I don't know. What, we'll in do... boldness, I, I think so. Bold. No, there are a lot of bold, yeah, a lot of rugged bold uh, managers. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, Simeone is one of those who is actually pretty bold, but right. he, he's got like he a, some engineering it. on top of his hair. Yeah, yeah. Or as 
As, as the Juventus fans used to say, um, like Conte had a cat on his head. Il gatto. Pancrazio. They even named it Pancrazio. Um, so I think Simeone has a cat on his head as well. Well, okay, he's, a he needs a cat on his head, mm. Simeone. Yeah. Anyway, listener, this is not what you came for. <laughs> you came to hear about happy players at Paris Saint-Germain, for example, Jules, in Ligue 1. Paris Saint-Germain with a 4-3 win over Trois. Yeah, not the defenders. I don't think the defenders or Gigi Donnarumma should be happy because he considered three goals, which n- never happens really at the Parc des Princes. And especially not against a team like Troyes. I mean, no offense, mm. but they, you know, they, they're not very good at an average team. Uh, but they still managed to score three. They could have scored more because it was a very open game, not much defending from PSG, a lot of attacking though, and a lot of really, really good attacking. And Again, the form that Lionel Messi and Neymar are both in, and Kylian Mbappe, maybe slightly below, are right now. They can play against team like Trois, of course, and they will, they will destroy them. They can play against better opposition, and right now, I think they would also be really, really hard to stop because we saw the great goal by Messi, and we saw plenty of assists, we saw plenty of skills, we saw an, an incredible pass from Neymar to Mbappe that I almost wished it finished in a goal. Because that pass from Neymar is going to get forgotten now or at least would not count as an assist. Had Mbappe scored, it would have been an assist and it would have said like maybe the best assist of the season. So Jules, it describe it for us. It's the one where he, he, he backheels it to Mbappe. The roulette. Basically, yeah. imagine like a, like a Maradona turn. So you know when you do the roulette with your feet on the ball and you mm-hmm. turn, except that the second touch is a kind of a backheel pass like a through ball for Mbappe within the box. He's just, and before that, Neymar had already dribbled past three or four, trois midfielders and defenders. And then that sort of moment of genius and creativity to find the only way really that he could get the ball to Mbappe was by doing that kind of roulette, Maradona turn, assist if you want. But yeah, it would have been fantastic. Messi, in the meantime, reading loads this weekend about how he's now back to, he's now showing... So many of the elements that made him so magical at Barcelona, again, his ability to beat the man, those wonderful... I don't, mm. What does he put on the backspin, on those on those assists that kind of roll through and then just kind of stop dead in yeah. front of the, the player? Wonderful ball like that that he put through, I think, for Neymar in this game. That's anyway, right, so Messi's yeah. happy again, but oh my word, what's this I'm reading? That he's actually plotting behind the scenes to ditch he's PSG and, and go to Inter Miami. <laughs> He's Miami Jules. He's not plotting anything. We know that he like Miami. He's got a place there that he bought 10 years ago. They, they often go on holidays there. Mm. I think Sergio Busquets will be an Inter-Miami player for sure. We know that Jorge Mas, who is the, the supremo at Inter-Miami, is really good friends with the Messi's, with Jorge Messi, with everybody. He knows them well and he sees absolutely drink them to Miami. That's no problem. And I think Leo would like to play in MLS and for Miami one day. But right now, he said to his father and to his brother, I'm not talking about the future. I'm not talking about next season. I want to focus on the World Cup, but what's happening at PSG now, and then we can, we can decide what to do. He will have three options. We've said it many times. There's not, not one right now is more advanced than another. It's either staying in Paris for at least a year. And if you, if you speak to people at the club right now, they say they feel quite optimistic because of how happy he is. Mm. Uh, and the way he's playing right now, there's the Barca option going back to Barcelona, of course, and and then there's the Inter Miami option. The fourth one could be going back to Argentina, but I think this is still too early. Right. So I think he'll be one of the three. Yeah. But right now, there's nothing more advanced than 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 other. Okay, it might just take a phone call from Phil Neville to say, "Leo, 
but we'll see. Yeah, I in think that meantime, could work. I mean, you know, if he'd watched them this season, uh, yeah, I would not recommend it. Yeah, yeah. What, made Higuain want to retire. Um, I know that, that's how bad it is. <laughs> Jules, what's the reason that Messi's happy this season, or happier this season, and doing better this season than last season? I think he's just more settled to start with. At the club, not so much because I think he was. Even people last season were saying to me how how good he was in the dressing room with people at the club. I think he's more in the city, in the country. And same with the family. People make fun of me when I talk about Hulk, of course, one of the dogs who was really unhappy last season. Uh, and now he's very happy in Paris. And I think I think it's just a little it's, it's a little thing. But to, to say that the kids, the three boys are happy, it took them a little bit of time. Of course it would. To get used to the new school and the new friends and the new teacher, you know, a bit of the traffic, a bit of the weather, a bit of finding the right place where to eat and where mm-hmm. to go without having people. No, but it's true. When you spend all your life in Barcelona and you change for another country where he never really been before either. And for Messi to have played so wide for most of last season when clearly, clearly it was very obvious that he could not do that job anymore. It was, it was pretty obvious. Now, for him to have this new central role, him and Mbappé up front, where they see him a bit behind as a 10, suits him so well because he's on the ball all the time. And what, what people in Paris and at the club really liked at the weekend, just to finish on Messi, he scored the equaliser. Of course, Trois scored very early after the third minute. And then PSG was chasing the game. And his reaction, the feast, the bamos, the, and, and shows how much he cares about that goal. And... and bringing the team back into the game. Même sans en deuxième balle, la frappe pour le but oh, L'incroyable but de Lionel Messi Le Parc des Princes qui peut exulter La frappe sèche à 30 mètres de Lionel Messi dans le petit filet de Gauthier Gallon Elsewhere in Ligue 1, Lorient, who we were talking up as the surprise side of the season, are now winless in three. They got beaten by Nice, a rare victory for Nice. A 2-1 at the weekend. And Laurent Blanc got his second win. At Lyon, 1-0 against Lille. Of course, it was Alexandre Lacazette who scored. He's, what a season he's having, Jules. Very much so, because he plays him with, with Dembele up front. So as a front two instead of under the other Dutch guy. But, but Blanc has done, has done good, although they should not have won that game. Paolo Fonseca was really frustrated after the game because they had so many chances. Could not score, hit the, hit the woodwork. Jonathan David was really, really good again. They just could not score. And then Lacazette had one chance, Lyon had one chance. And they scored and he changed things at halftime, which he never really used to do before. He, he was never the best of tacticians. Uh, but now he changed at halftime. That worked really well for Lyon. So it's a, it's a, it's a really good win. They're still, they're still way behind in the league because they were so behind before he arrived. There's improvement, there's progress, and the, the players are very happy with him. I think the charisma, the experience, and who he kind of is, I think he's playing a big part in the, the kind of revival of the team. We talked about all the great games at the weekend. Sunday is obviously the Olympico between uh, Marseille oh, yeah. and Lyon, so that, that would be pretty special, especially each club, one very much on the up and the other one on the down. Mm. A victory for Lyon would put them just one point behind Marseille. Yes. Excellent. Thanks, Jules. Next up, we'll round off today's show with our friend Rafa. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Rafi, welcome back. So, much to discuss. Uh, Tense midweek for Leipzig and Frankfurt. With the Champions League, their last 16 places on the line. How did they get on at the weekend? Well, it was a mixed uh, bag, as they say, uh, James. Um, Leipzig had a good game. They beat Xabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen 2-0. Timo Werner scored again, so that was a, a big bonus for them. And they looked, they looked happy. They looked in control. Uh, they had good balance. And, uh, of course, Nkunku scored, as he inevitably does as well. Uh, the opener, and uh, just as they did against uh, Real Madrid, they mm. were they were very good in the box, especially. Timo Werner, with one of the, the classic runs he used to do at Chelsea, where everything would be set up, he'd be through on goal, and then he'd put it wide or whatever, but he, he seems to have rediscovered his mojo of late there. I think he has, yeah. He's, um, I think, regaining a bit of the confidence that seems to have been lost uh, when he moved from Leipzig to Chelsea. And even when he came back, he still looked a little bit sort of out of sorts, making wrong decisions and playing a little bit like a like somebody who's who's trying to regather their own touch um, and, and failing. But yeah, the latest signs are that he is beginning to score the kind of goals that we saw from him. Um, Marco Rosa singled him out for praise after the game, saying yeah, he's very important for us also in the dressing room as a personality. Um, he's dangerous. He now started scoring again. So yeah, it's been a really good week for him, especially with the World Cup coming so quickly. Because I think he was in danger, or still is in danger, of losing his starting position. So it's a good time to to add a few goals to the personal tally. Mm, indeed, so a result that leaves Bayer Leverkusen back in the relegation playoff position, 16th in the Bundesliga, as Leipzig prepare for their trip to Warsaw to play Shakhtar. Uh, They just need a point to qualify against the side from Ukraine. That's right, they need a point. Um, A defeat will knock them out because Shakhtar have the better head-to-head, having gone there and won and on match day one. That was the last game of uh, Domenico Tedesco in charge, you'll remember. And it's not... It's not a foregone conclusion. Uh, we've seen Leipzig uh, been a little bit inconsistent at this level, but I think with the recent performances, especially on the back of these two wins against uh, Real Madrid and, and Bayer, they should get that one point. And then it'll be it'll be already be seen as a big success for Marco Rosa to have done that. And then they can concentrate on finishing fourth again, which also looks increasingly likely again after their form has recovered in the league. I think they're now nine unbeaten. Mm. Um, in a row, which is which is pretty good. Indeed. Meanwhile, the other team uh, looking for a place in the last 16 are Eintracht Frankfurt. That's in Spurs' group. They're going to be up against Sporting. 
Uh, they lost this weekend to Borussia Dortmund, Rafa. They did, although they shouldn't have lost because they played really well. They created lots of chances and a draw is the least that they would have deserved or should have deserved. Uh, they also got really unlucky with two penalty decisions. Definitely one of them seemed to be pretty nailed on. Karim Adeyemi pushing Jesper Lindstrom just in front of goal. Somehow the referee missed it. Somehow VAR missed it. Um, and it didn't really, I think, do much for Frankfurt's mood when the referee came out the next day explaining why he'd missed it or why the VR had missed it. Apparently, they didn't look at the right angles, oh. which um, is not much of a consolation, I should say, mm. for Frankfurt. Um, on the plus side, Mario Goetze had a phenomenal game again, and I think he might actually make the World Cup playing as well as he has been in, in recent weeks. Also, had a great game against Marseille in midweek. And yeah, Frankfurt, I think, surprisingly good going forward. I, I thought they might struggle in the league after that poor start, but they, they've started to play some really good football and Götze is a big part of that. As for Dortmund, they were, they were happy that, of course, that they won the game. They defended reasonably well. Mats Hummels had an outstanding game and he also now, I think, has a small chance of making, making the squad, which is a bit of a surprise considering that uh, he really hasn't featured at all. Um, for the last uh, two or three years and uh, was seen as as yesterday's man as far as the national team is concerned. But as a team, they didn't really convince and it was the kind of performance that yeah, left a lot to be desired, I think, in terms of actually controlling the game and having a bit more footballing authority on the pitch. It was too open and yeah, Frankfurt were very unlucky. Okay. Dortmund remaining in fourth place at the moment. Jude Bellingham with the winner in that game. That's his ninth of the season. Meantime, in second place, just one point behind Union Berlin, our FC Bayern, who made it five wins out of five with a whopping 6-2 victory over Mainz. Yeah, and had six different goal scorers, which was which was nice. Um, Sadio Mane scored after missing a penalty. He converted the rebound. Uh, Maxim Chupomoting again scored. His uh, six and five games, that's pretty good going. And um, happily for Bayern and for the German national team, Serge Gnabry also scored. He's on a, a real purple patch, having had also in different start, um, provided those wonderful goals for Bayern against Barcelona with the assists, um, all three of them, and now scored himself to really cap off what, what is a, um, a much improved um, set of performances in, in recent weeks. So good news for Bayern, um, less good news for the opponents because they've kind of found their mojo again after that lean spell, you'll recall, at the uh, beginning of September where they had those four games where they didn't win and lost at uh, Augsburg. Since then, it's been pretty straightforward with the exception of that 2-2, late 2-2 draw against Dortmund. Yeah, nine matches, I've just added up their goals, 38 goals in that time. Extraordinary. Quite a worrying prospect for their next opponents, who are Inter. Of course, both these teams already qualified for the last 16, but that's the last group stage game. Uh, Inter visiting the Allianz Arena in Munich as Bayern look to make it a perfect group stage, six out of six for the second year in a row. Lovely stuff, Rafa. We'll be seeing you for that game and others on the Goal Show Tuesday and Wednesday. Look forward to it. Can't wait, James. Raphael Honigstein. Hope we get the gang all together for next Tuesday's show, listener. I hope you'll be joining us as well. 
that's it for today's edition, though. So many, many thanks to Alvaro, Jules, James, producer Charlie, Rafa, and you as ever, listener. We'll be back with you soon enough for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.